Final ring, here I go. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the final ring. Today we have a uh, guest speaker and you know co-host Stomps. He's a high-level competitive player. And Stomps, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me, man. Uh, so I see you saying my name's Stomps. I've been a professional Apex player since the game basically came out. So that's two and a half years now. And uh, yeah, I am one of the only people left from those OG days, sadly. That's impressive, honestly. Like staying in, in this game for, for two years and still competing is is not an easy thing to do. So hats off to you for sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely been a bit of a bumpy ride for sure to get into the competitive scene. Um so today we're gonna talk a little bit about like overarching themes are gonna be team dynamics. Uh, in a competitive environment and then sort of like everything that goes into making a team a team so let's start first and we'll ask you since you're our special guest we'll ask you what are all the rules that in a team at least in the teams that you've played on and kind of like what do you see as uh their their jobs in each role um this kind of varies team by team but most teams generally have a macro IGL, which is an IGL that calls all your rotates and kind of your early and mid-game actions. Um, and then you have a micro IGL and a fragger. Now, the micro IGL on a team kind of like calls all the fights and your in-game stuff to kind of help your, your, you know, your macro IGL not get over, over um, crowded with all the thoughts and shit. So this helps them like make quick decisions and keeps the team going at a good pace um, in competitive matches. So, so. so in your experience, would you say having that second IGL is almost a necessity to uh, like playing at a high level? Well, and as I said earlier, it's not really like for every team, but definitely like most teams should have it it is very important to a success especially if you don't have the strongest you know macro igl on the planet like not everybody sweet dreams for example you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's so. kind of hard to be able to call all the rotates call all of the team fights decide exactly what your team is going to be doing and micromanage so i'm exactly. sure that helps and so like uh i don't know man i think it's when we when I was competing a little bit, we always had issues with IGLs and co-IGLs and micro-IGLs because it was very difficult to figure out like all the different dynamics within the team. And like, I'm sure that's a problem within all sorts of teams. Because I mean, as you can see, everyone's like splitting up, rejoining teams, shuffling around after every single tournament. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast where... You know, it seems like after every ma massive tournament, teams split up and move around and and switch out players in hopes of finding, I guess that that god squad that will just run through the finals lobbies when 
you know, in reality, sometimes you've got to stick together. I mean, I guess, what do you think happened with your last team and, and you know, what happened? Dang. All right, we're getting to the juicy stuff already. Yeah, juice, <laughs> juice. <laughs> so my team, we teamed for about seven to eight months. Um, we didn't have the greatest starts to teaming. It, was, it took us about two to three months to even get, you know, something rolling. Um, and this was after me and Lucas came off a playoff spot back in, I think it was the autumn circuit. I believe so. Um, so it definitely wasn't the greatest feeling, but once we started to get the ball rolling, you know, you're kind of on that, um, you're on that roll, right? You're getting these consistent performances. You're placing good. Um, so what happened towards our final two months, I'd say of teaming. So the past two months is our personalities started to clash. Um, I wasn't, you know, on the best terms with Lucas and Impulse. They weren't on the best terms with me. So it's more or less, we just played comp together and that was it. Which can work for some teams, but for the most part, like, people don't understand that you pers on a personal level, you guys have to get along to be successful in comp. Oh it's, yeah, I mean, how much time are you spending together? Even just competing, it's right. You're it's putting in like eight hours. Yeah, eight hour days. It's like your coworkers at work, you know. So yeah. Um, so you're so, saying like you guys would just get on like what once, twice, maybe three times a week to play scrims and then not talk to each other the rest of the time. Basically, we would talk to each other gotcha. in a group chat and through messages mm -hmm. and stuff, but it was like strictly like about comp. There was nothing else involved. There was no like. I guess friendly banter, just you know. No. Hey, you you want to play this game instead of this game today, or or anything nope. like that? Nope. So in the last two months, it, it was just strictly business. So going into the last month for champs, um, you know we were very confident in making finals, which we did. Um, and so going into finals, our biggest issue came between me and Lucas in terms of IGLing. Now, I'm sure you guys remember this. Our first game, we won. Mm -hmm. It was great. You know, the vibes are yeah, high. Every yeah, started yeah. off strong, yeah. Everybody's excited. And the next game, we get like 10th with like six kills, I, I believe. It might be four kills. The vibes are still high. It's still a good game for us. But after that second game, it just comes crashing down. And this was something that I've always brought up. But Lucas and Impulse, when we have a bad game most of the time they crash mm -hmm. it's um and that's not me like getting onto them as individual players they're great players but that's basically what would happen in scenarios like that I so it comes like, down to like a mentality thing almost basically i feel like that's like a very very popular thing in uh in the competitive scene it seems like you know all the the teams who are you know very good players individually uh sometimes struggle with those um like finals because they get in their head and the mentality is just you know we lost this game what are we gonna do they can't reset their mentality and and right. in the long run if it you know messes them up yeah, yeah and i mean this goes to for every game a lot of people get their mentals down but i think apex is one of those special games where people shouldn't really let it get to them Mainly because you can make a bad game up in one game. Yeah. 
you can literally yeah, you like, can, have a you can have a bad five games and have a six game and it's just a banger and still do okay. Yeah, I mean it's a br. Like there's so much RNG involved that you can't expect to win every single game and you know win every single fight. Yeah, exactly. So um, so in champs our mental kind of went down and we started picking it back up towards the end. Of course, it was a little too late for that. Um, so we didn't place as well. For that tourney um but two days after the tournament we kind of had a a team discussion kind of of what went down and they notified me in the discord call that they were looking at a different third which was it ended up being wrecking issue um good player mm -hmm. no hate towards him but that was kind of what ended up happening two days post champs um and that might become a shocker for everybody. It was a shocker to me. But it was kind of like planned for those last two months, as I said, with our personalities clashing. They mm. already decided that before champs. Gotcha. Which I think, from the outside looking in, is a very um, almost unfair thing to do. You know what I mean? Like, um, for example, like when my team was competing, right? And it was Micah, Spyro, and I. Well, when we decided to look for a new third because Micah got a job, like we didn't we didn't talk to him until we'd already made up our minds. And I feel like that's something that a lot of teams do, but really could or should be avoided, right? Where well, yeah, I mean, think about it. Think about it in terms of like even a workplace, right? It, it, your supervisor or boss isn't just gonna well, okay, shouldn't just. <laughs> fire you on the spot right you should be given ample time to change what they see as a problem yeah and so right. I, I don't know if it's necessarily specifically an esports issue but it's definitely an issue in esports you know yeah and i you know some teams might handle it different and poorly um but in this specific scenario i can't necessarily blame them for bringing it up suddenly because you have yeah. to think about it it's two months before champs you're leading up into champs you're trying to keep the mental up or as high as you can. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like the SSG situation. You can't tell somebody, Hey, we're looking for a different third and expect them to be happy or okay with that. Especially right, right. before a tournament. <laughs> yeah. I no feel way. like, I feel like if, if you're looking for a new third before a tournament though, I think that's uh, like, I'm not trying to, to, you know, fire shots or whatever, but I feel like, in my personal opinion, if you're looking for a, a, a new third before you even play in the tournament, you're just asking to, like, not perform as well as you could, right? And uh, exactly. I mean, you see these teams that have dropped players after finals, right? Where if they were they were already planning to switch around the roster before the hand, and you know they didn't perform as well, and yeah. I think the only team that that we saw, you know, perform well with a roster change post finals was C9. And what do they get second? Yep, C9 uh, got second. Yeah, second. Now the C9 yeah. roster change though happened post champs though. That's the only difference in the situation. Yeah. yeah. They didn't even consider splitting up until after champs. Um so I guess that's a little bit different. I could see both sides of the story when it comes to my situation. Kind of like, yeah. well, you should let them know. Um, but I don't know. 
I can kind of see why you wouldn't let me know beforehand. Yeah, well, Especially that's just asking you to have lower mental <laughs> right before a tournament, which is... Yeah, and you don't want that. Especially since it was the biggest wants. Apex tournament, you know? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. really don't want that. So it, it was just bad timing and a bad situation all around. One thing I'll be interested to see is if... Uh, or when lands come back, to see if the like team roster volatility comes down a bit. Because like once you've met these people... And like hung out with them at lands and all that. I feel like that kind of chemistry is much easier to build in person than it is over like Discord, even. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, for champs, a lot of these teams flew out and boot camped with one another. Like, think of SSG, for example. SSG literally um, flew their players out two weeks before champs into a team house to kind of get that chem going. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, as I was saying, like, people underrate, like, you have to personally be good with each other on a personal level, you know? Yeah. It's not just... Esports is one of those things It's not just strictly business and you can get away with it. You have to like your teammates. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's similar in all sports. Like, you'll see... I don't know, let's just use tennis as an example because it's smaller teams, like in doubles and stuff. You don't really see a lot of partner switching, but you see everyone... Like, they hang out together all the time, even if they're not playing together. And, like, the whole scene is kind of usually uh, friendly with each other. And I think that's a, an interesting difference between regular sports and esports. Like, I know in regular sports, like, there are personal beefs and stuff. But I, I feel like on esports, it's a lot easier because you're so much more anonymous. Yeah. You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you don't have a face to put with people half the time. So, I yeah, mean, that's a good point. People dislike each other because they have a similar name to someone they don't like, right? And yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, look at Clarify and Clara, right? There are people who get them confused, even though they are nowhere near the same person. And oh, wait, really? it's yeah, yeah. There's like, I think there was a screenshot that's that's in my head that's like Clarify playing a pub. And somebody's saying, oh, my God, is that Clara? Like, Clara at work. Oh, and this guy's like, what? And it's like, they're not even close to the same person. You know, one competes. One's a really, you know, good streamer. It's just like, it's it's not the same. How do you get them confused? But it happens. Yeah. And I think there's that because general, there's no real, like. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that person, I guess. Yeah. And so I really think it'll be interesting to see what happens with the scene in a more broad scale with the return of lands. Plus it'll be yeah. fun to see all the homies, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll definitely be, you know, really good whenever fucking lanes come back. Especially with all the Twitter beefs and stuff, seeing people in person meet up. It's gonna be great. I think content. that's <laughs> that's gonna be content in general right there, honestly. Hopefully it's all banter, you know? Um <laughs> I think it you never be. know sometimes. <laughs> I th I think that like people who have like hardcore twitter beef right if they ever yeah. met at a LAN or whatever it'd just be like oh hey and then just oh, like hey. ignore each other the rest of the time yeah. it's like <laughs> the passive aggressive beef <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a lot of people are i want to say like socially awkward in the in the gaming community so yeah like, i mean we're gamers yeah nobody yeah, yeah. Nobody's gonna <laughs> go up to your face like, "Oh, I saw what you posted on Twitter the other day," and like, no. <laughs> how dare you subtweet me about this topic? You're yeah, going at, down, buddy. At least at me, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like nobody's gonna do that. 
but it would be funny. Uh, speaking of lands, though, on a, a more a little bit of a different note, um, we saw one the, the EU versus NA show match, right? And it, mm-hmm. I think that it was very difficult to ha- call that representative of a competitive scene between the two regions, just because of ping, solely because of ping. I mean, not, not only obviously there are other reasons, but like just thinking about it, in terms of like the differences in ser- in servers. Um, what do you guys think we're going to see in lands? Like, who do you think who do you think we're going to see on top? Um, when it comes to predicting a team on top, that's very hard. Obviously, EU, um, their tier two and tier one scene are pretty close to one another. You have teams winning tournaments that you honestly would never hear of, right? But they just win these tournaments all the time. It's not like NA where it's a wild card pick. Like, it, their their scene is much better overall than every other region. But when it comes to land, I. This is just my personal opinion. You can't really predict this. I honestly think either NA or APAC is going to take home the championship. See, I completely so, agree because, yeah, you know, EU, uh, their pro scene is like their tier one and tier two, uh, like difference, their, their skill gap isn't that big, right? So, like, tier two players are you know, competing and, and actually in competition with tier one. And it's like, you can't tell the difference half the time. Whereas NA, it's like you have five, maybe six solid tier one teams that will just, you know, decimate everything where, you know, in EU, you just don't see that. And I think that, yeah. um, you know, I personally, like, like Stom said, I think either... NA or APAC comes out with a dub on land. All right, well, technical difficulties, but we are back. Um, the topic we were on was like EU versus NA and who's going to come out on land. Um, we said, uh, for, for the most part, Stomps and I both agreed that it'd be either NA or, or even APAC that would, would come out with a dub on land. We think that, um, you know, EU's tier one and tier two, uh, like skill set and skill gap isn't that far apart whereas you know you see these teams at na like nrg or you know old tsm that would just dominate everybody and, and nobody would really stand a chance right so that's my prediction either na comes out with a double on land or apac even because they got some pretty nasty teams over there yeah they really do some of those teams are quite a sight to watch Yep. I agree. Especially I think NA is pretty top heavy. NA's oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It's like hey. the the teams that you see that are dominating NA right now are the teams that have been in since the start and have been consistently playing together or consistently playing in general. Where, I guess we talked about this a little last time, where you know scrims aren't the best right now for NA and haven't been the best for a while, but the people who are, are, you know, performing very well are the people who were there from the start when scrims were, you know, what, 140 teams deep every single day. Yeah, every day. And, Good old Q snipes, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but those are the teams you see that are just performing consistently and overall, you know, playing together still. Yeah, and... um. Which brings up a good point also is like 
as a new player, I guess we'll direct this question specifically at uh, Stom says, as a new player, or to a new player, rather, what would you say if they asked you how to get into competitive? So it's funny you mentioned that because somebody literally asked me this the other day. Um, and that's a kind of a hard topic to discuss because, again, I come from when the game first came out. So for me to get into the comp scene, much easier than it is nowadays. Um, yeah. So I don't really have anything to base it off of, but from personal experience of what I've seen other people do, I would try your best. Honestly, I wouldn't even attempt scrimming or finding teams until you have connections and build those connections. It's all about connections at the end of the day for a comp. Uh, as much as it sucks, skill doesn't really come... Um, skill really isn't much of a factor when it comes to finding teams and getting that going. It mostly comes down to who you know and how they think of you as a player. So I would probably recommend like rank grinding. Honestly, try to get high ranks and yeah. Non yeah. nonstop connect with people and trying to play with the the bigger names in the scene. Like who was it? It was like a, a Zednim, right? He kind of came out of nowhere and he was playing ranked well, quite a bit and was top of ranked for a very long time. Well, Zednim's a good and example. That, kinda... Yeah, Zednim's a good example, but like mainly what I based it off of is Corey. If y'all know who that is, I do know who Corey is because he plays with. Uh, couple people that i watch pretty yeah he he full-on made champs think about that never competed before was always a consistent top 20 rank grinder and he made champs with we the people in turns that's crazy to think about but that's how the scene works is it's who you know i mean honestly if if you're a good player right if you're if you're getting let's say top 50 pred every season right if you're if you're grinding that out and you're a solid player then the only thing you need, like you can fit that fragger role, like we were talking about earlier, right? The only thing you really need is a a strong brain that can, you know, call rotations, that that macro IGL position there, and if they're good enough at IGLing, you know, you can make champs, like. Oh yeah, absolutely, oh, exactly. And like you just good, and like um. With you being a hardcore fragger, let's say you, you just get a bunch of rank grinders together and the team's just fragging. At that point, you build up that IGL aspect and your um, experience in comp. That's when you start doing it. Well, I now mean, what, dude, look at solo queue, or solo queue warlords or whatever. The EU team was Shiv and Diff Q. Yeah. Yes. They did literally exactly that. And they placed, I think they placed third in champs. Uh, yeah, I think they placed third. Yeah. But they are, which is just absolutely crazy to me. Like they're all gunners, all of them. Let's see, yep. yeah, they sold cute goats. Placed third. They even played Bangalore, champs. didn't they? They didn't play yeah. play like <laughs> meta characters. They, they played play like what they want to play. Yeah, <laughs> that just proves like if you're good at the game, and you can just you know outskill everyone. It doesn't matter what you do, you're just better. No, exactly, yeah. and, and like. And people got to also realize, too, you're going to make bad plays when you're just a rank grinder in comp. Like, you're probably not going to see success for a good amount of time. Oh, well, yeah, your mental your mental is just completely different. You, yeah, it's, you it's see too, things differently completely, yeah. yeah. It's two completely different environments. Like, Fred ranked is nothing like competitive. 
but it's a good like first stepping stone. It's that first like baby step that you have to make in order to, I guess, gain that experience of, of competing. Exactly. And yeah. it's, it's super important, especially in a region like NA where you don't have scrims really anymore, especially yeah. with these tier one teams. You're just not going to get experiences anywhere else besides rank. I mean, right. hot take from me here. Um, <laughs> you are like struggling to get past diamond, right? If you are struggling to get past diamond as, as a ranked grinder, if you're playing ranked every day and can't hit masters, can't hit pred, whatever, going to sign up for a GLL tournament or, you know, series E or whatever isn't really going to help you at that point. Like, I don't think that you know the game fundamentally enough to really even stand a chance to compete in, you know, let's say a finals GLL lobby, which is, you know, for for teams that compete, like a very, very low tier tournament, right? Right. Oh, exactly. I think it's concerned uh, tier three. I yeah. Believe. I mean, they host the, the quote unquote community tournament, what, once a week? Wednesdays and Thursdays, yeah. Yep. But like, I just I'm I'm kind of on I'm kind of on a different side of that. I I agree with you that I don't think you'll place well in a finals lobby of GLL Cup if you're struggling passing or getting past Diamond. But I also think that playing in GLL Cups, as long as you're taking it seriously and not like trying to grief other teams or or like just running it down, is is very good for improvement. I think that playing in that environment, it's like uh, when I used to, I mean, I used to play tennis competitively, believe it or not. Um, And I always would rather play with people or against people who are at a much higher skill level. I always saw the most improvement when I was punching above my weight class. And so like, I agree with you that it's, like you're you won't do well but i don't think that that means that you shouldn't do it well and here's the thing though it's like and people also don't really think about it is using your time wisely and this is i'm kind of agreeing with koala here i don't think these lower tier players should focus on doing these every week because you got to think about it you have two rounds day one and then the finals day two so you're roughly putting in what eight hours into this tourney imagine yeah, if you eight hours imagine if you sure. took those eight hours and approved either your mechanics or your thought process and rank or like this this is another topic that we don't have to like get into right now but you know looking back at your own gameplay and reviewing what you could do better in certain situations like if you put eight hours into that you will get to masters easily like, if you just take the time to, like, look back at, let's say, fights you've lost or, or you know, things that you could have done better as a player, I think that Masters is very obtainable for anybody at the, at the current moment in time with how ranked is, is, I guess, set up and how it's playing out. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. I mean, Vaudreuil is super underrated, especially for these lower tier teams. And, oh, I, I mean, completely agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it, but the also a big thing with Vaudreuil is it can hurt you if you don't know like what you what want you're to look for. for? <laughs> yeah, specifically, or recognizing that the situation went wrong because of 
a whole different thing you thought of, you know? Well, if you're, like, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. And again, if you're trying to get in competitive, maybe considering like a coach or an analyst. I was about to say, yeah. For that kind if, of thing. If you're serious about getting into competitive and you're like this, uh, I guess, late, which you're not really late in the game overall, but it's like there's not really the same opportunities there were, you know, a year and a half ago. Definitely it's just finding. Different. Yeah, definitely finding someone who has experience to, you know, reach out to them to, you know, I guess you could hire them as a coach for, you know, a couple hours a week or whatever to just have them there to VOD review with you or to take a look at you and your team's gameplay and kind of go over what went wrong, I think would be absolutely massive for anyone who is seriously trying to get into the scene. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think taking that part seriously is very important too. like making sure you have a set schedule of when you're going to do this. And so like you hold kind of hold yourself accountable to review and uh, having those that time with your with your coach and the rest of your team. I guess that could come like after because we were talking about earlier how like, you know, you should you should at least be able to hit a certain rank, blah, 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 like. Yeah, I think that would be in the transition of, you know, you've hit masters, you've hit pred now, you want to, you want to start, you know, seriously fixing the little problems you might have, right? So the, the small positioning errors from you, blah, 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 blah. I think that's where a a coach or an analyst could, could really shine and take you from like a, a, you know, a masters player to a top you know 500 top 250 pred no and i agree yeah absolutely. the only issue with coaching and especially in apex is a lot of these free agent teams don't have a backing of an org to pay a coach yeah. i mean some some coaches will do like um 20 for an hour or something like that which is fine but you're not going to get a lot of the benefits of a coach in just one hour exactly, so yeah i think this kind of goes back to VOD reviewing. I think the most beneficial thing some teams could even do is just review tournament gameplay from pros and realize the decision-making that they're going through. Now, once you start having issues and you're, um, like, once you start actually doing comp and you're in these ALGS tournaments and you're getting, like, round twoed or something like that and you want to start recognizing what went wrong, and if you're serious about competing, at that point, I'd recommend a coach for a lot of these teams. Yeah. Yeah. That's I totally fair. That. I, I guess I didn't really think about the financial aspect of having a coach. Right. Cause I think I've always seen it as like, you'll find someone that, you know, again, networking who's willing yeah. to help you out your team, you yeah. know? Exactly. Well, the one thing with coaching too, is it takes a lot of time. So even if you're friends with somebody, it's most of the time, they're not going to do it for free. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even behind the scenes, like as somebody who has coached, it's not just a, hey, I'm going to watch this video with you for an hour and a half and and tell you what you can do better. It's like, you know, four hours a day type of deal. Every single time they scrim or every single time something goes off, you know, you're, you're analyzing where other teams are landing even like for for finals. It was like I was watching their, uh, I guess, champ scrims, right? And we would sit there and like, I would watch the entire VOD of their champ scrims while they're playing. And then I would go back after find places that like I wanted to talk to them about 
write them down on a notepad. Next day we'd go back. I'd pull those up, have everything on a notepad and say like, tomorrow I want you to try this instead and have that whole like thought process of maybe you can test this team instead of running from this team or maybe instead of rotating here, you do this. And it's like, it's not just, you know, an hour. It's not just that. So finding someone to, I guess, coach without paying them or just relying on, hey, you know me, can you do this for me type of deal? Yeah. Like, that's really hard to, I guess, expect from someone. No, oh, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, and that's that's why it's like saying like, you need to be more invested in comp. Like, once you recognize you can actually do it, your team's just struggling in certain aspects, that's when you should probably start looking into, like, getting a coach. So I guess then we should, I, I want to look at uh, how you would get from point A of becoming a Masters player to point B recognizing that you have the skill and the team chemistry to make it into these top lobbies. Well, I mean, probably the without, easiest like, way. Coach, like, yeah. <laughs> the easiest thing is once you recognize you can actually compete is probably whenever you're just decimating these pro teams in rank. And I mean, and the, the pro teams aren't playing at their highest capabilities i mean it's rank apex you know like yeah you don't have imperial how playing it like it's a five hundred thousand dollar attorney it's that not is, happening <laughs> that is one thing that like i feel like a lot of players don't understand or or don't realize because you know you'll have you, you'll be like a diamond four maybe a master's player right just because you you kill TSM Imperial Hal doesn't mean you're good enough to compete against him, right? Most of the right. time when he's playing ranked, they're just like W King, just you know, playing for content and playing for, you know, not very serious, right? Yeah, it's just and fun for him. That's something that a lot of players I don't think realize that just because you kill them does not mean that you're better than him. And I I've seen a lot of I want to say weird egos come up from players who are, you know, they haven't competed. They haven't had that experience, but they're like, oh, I kill this person all the time in rank, so I must be good enough or it must be better. And it's like, right. that's just, I would recommend back to the networking thing, like dropping any sort of ego that you have. And <laughs> I know some people are going to say that's funny coming from me, but listen, okay, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> do not have an ego whatsoever and you'll make it farther than if you have one yeah no e ego's definitely yeah. a big big thing here i mean because you want to make friends with these pros because they're going to help you network the most exactly they're going to get you out to audiences they're going to get you out to other players and if you're friends with them they'll help you out even more so than you know you're just trash talking imperial hell in this chat um <laughs> that's another thing i'll say <laughs> like if you are able to stream your gameplay, 100% do it, right? Even if you are like, you know, not interacting with chat that much, blah, blah, blah. If you are just 100% streaming every single time you play the game, you'll still have more potential to make those connections than if you weren't streaming, for example, right? So yeah. I easily agree there. Most people, though, like they don't have this setup to stream. And that's just because Apex is a hard game to stream. Yeah, yeah, no, I get Apex that. Is very, Apex is very poorly optimized, and so it's like one of those games that you kind of have to have a nine thousand dollars setup to stream <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I have a cool PC wanna... setup, and even sometimes it still gives me issues. Like Apex is just one of those games that it's very hard to keep I a stream mean, yeah. consistently running. Even without streaming, like on on my what i7 with a 2070, like it's or i7 7700K with a 2070, it's like my game will still drop to like 50 FPS in scrim sometimes, and it's like that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's yeah. miserable. Yeah, <laughs> and the stutters uh, are pretty bad. Like at least one thing I will say, it's better than Watson meta because Watson meta, I was literally at like 25 to 30 frames the entirety <laughs> of Endgame. All the fences, dude. Dude, that shit. It was so bad. It was so bad. (laughs) As fun and competitive as Watson Meta was, like all of the fences (laughs) and all of the like pylons and all the everything, it was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was miserable for anybody who didn't have a, you know, $4,000 PC. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, But I think we kind of deviated from the main topic point there, which was, um, these teams and kind of recognizing when they're ready to compete. And I, I think the biggest thing is you, you one, you need a set squad for rank, right? You just need yeah. to play non-stop rank with the set squad to build a c- consistent, um, a consistent team going into competitive. Yeah. Um, but the biggest factor in recognizing you can actually compete is you're getting pred every season. You're getting somewhat, deep into pred i'd probably say top 250 pred and you can non-stop take 3v3s with these pro players not just third party kill them but straight up yeah. 3v3s and that's take when you sh- yeah and that's when you should recognize i can actually do this professionally if i you know sit down take the time and learn because mechanics in this game, and this is more so than any other game, like CS knowledge is more important than mechanics. Mechanics are so much more important in this game than like 100%. being a smart player. If you have good mechanics, they can carry you through a lot of this game. Like if you are just purely skilled, right? If you are just talented and you got a beam, you're you're gonna go at least somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. and the biggest. <laughs> And this Plus is the no knowledge this play- right. Yeah, and this yeah. is more easily. And real quick, this is no diss to a player, but Nathan's the perfect example of this. Nathan <laughs> is the most mechanical, like gifted player in this game. Yeah. And, and you can argue he's the best comp player due to that. But have you ever seen Nathan IGL or make calls? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he's kind of realized his place as like, you know, I'm not my my skill set or my talents aren't towards the the IGL or the you know the brains of the team. It's much more of the when you need me to clutch up, I will clutch up ninety plus percent of the time. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's also pretty important too for like newer players to recognize is what role they fit in into a team. Mm-hmm. Are they always out fragging their teammates? Are they able to recognize certain situations? Like, if you're not out fragging everybody on your team, you should probably start looking things from, like, analyzing an IGL perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of ties into character meta as well, right? So you have the, the fraggers on your team, you know, they shouldn't be playing Gibby. In all reality, if you're gonna have a fragger on your team, you should probably have them playing, like, an Octane or a Wraith or a one of those mobility characters 
where they can really, you know, perform even bloodhound, you know what I mean? Where they can really perform and yeah. outshine everybody on the team. And they have that potential. I I agree. I think your rate and octane players though is kind of your Could main IGL. IGL. Yeah, your main it IGL. should it should always be your main IGL because they're the ones who are going to rotate you into certain spots, and an IGL has to be quick with what they want to do. So you can't be a you know a Gibby going oh we should rotate here, and wait for yeah. your teammate to be like okay let me throw a pad. <laughs> That's it can't work. <laughs> instead of just me take my pet take my pet now yeah and this is this is where you kind of differentiate um the macro and micro igl you know i'm a gibby main you know but i do micro igling so i'll Mm -hmm. call fights and all of that um but you'll never see me (laughs) go oh i I need a pad here we we gotta start rotating you know i i I won't do that i will leave that up to the octane player um but your fragger most of the times blood out because let's be honest wall hacks on a fragger insane yeah, it's pretty strong it's, <laughs> it's it's there's nothing that compares to it especially with this old where you're basically an octane stem 24 7 but it's plus you have those red targets you know where they're just glow yeah, everybody's highlight like, really. <laughs> you can see those yeah, crazy pixel peak angles that they're taking and exactly and I guess that that could be another thing too for teams to recognize is which characters they strongly perform on mm-hmm. and which characters they struggle with. Especially for newer players because everybody that's played the game for a while now already knows how to play everything. Yeah. You know, I can go from Gibby to Bloodhound easily. I could go from Bloodhound yeah. to Octane easily. Yeah. Just because I've played the game. Like, I have over 4,000 hours in it, you know? You kind of have that mentality of what to do with this character even if you haven't like mastered the character exactly and so I, yeah. that's something for newer players too is picking a character recognizing your role and sticking to it non-stop until you mastered it and then you can kind of like, like start to theory craft other characters Start flex a little bit yeah yeah well, i think going back a little bit to the uh the macro igl thing or the, the macro IGL role and them calling rotates. And so I guess I wanted to talk a little bit about the difference between uh, early game rotates and late game rotates. And so who, who on you, I guess on your team, who called the different rotates early game, late game, was it the same person or did you have maybe the, somebody else calling late game rotates? Cause I know so, when I was competing, our main IGL would call everything up until about zone four. And then we had the micro IGL who's playing on Bloodhound. They would be the ones making the late game calls just because they had a better mind for it. And it had nothing to do with the first person. It was just they were better at making these decisions. And so we had two different people calling late game mm-hmm. and early game rotates. Endgame kind of comes down to who had the most experience playing in these types of lobbies and who's more comfortable in assessing situations that come in Endgame. Um, but with my team, we had Lucas call basically every rotate until like zone four. What what his IGLing was is he would want a spot depending on the zone pool. And we would prioritize that spot, whether we had to fight a team or not. And if we didn't get that spot, then it, it would kind of fall on the micro to kind of come up with a backup plan. Um, j- just so you kind of have two ways, you know, about going about a situation. Right. 
Um, but the macro IGL, they, they, their whole role is just to get you in zone and get you in a spot that's going to allow you to get kills and good placement. Um, when it comes into the later stages of the game, if your macro IGL is comfortable, I'd probably say leave it to them. Um, but, but if they're not super comfortable and they don't have a lot of experience, that's where the micro comes in. And that's when, like, for example, me. Um, there'd be a lot of times in-game I'd call rotates, especially as a Gibby player with my bubble. Um, yeah, you can make those short rotates pretty safely. I can make thing. those short rotates. I can also position us in a way for a fight. So that's kind of where I excelled in for my team. When I competed, we had... I, I hard-called everything, right? So I was just IGL. There wasn't micro... Uh, like macro, micro, IGL. It was just... I called every rotate, everything, and then when it came down to end game, um, Micah would kind of call where to look for like fights and look for picks. Well, I was planning those like late game, like okay, if this happens, then we go here, and if this happens, we go here. But for the most part, like everything was was on me, and I will say that's it's pretty stressful if you do it for a long <laughs> time. But that way, it was. There was no questions about it, right? Because I feel like that's something yeah. that a lot of teams struggle with. If you have a macro and a micro IGL, you know, if they disagree on something, who really has the final say? And right. unless you've like talked about it and said like, if I call this and you call this, we're gonna go with this option. And right. Unless and you've talked about that, you're gonna you're gonna have that issue. I feel like. No, definitely. So whenever we originally started teaming, uh, me and Lucas butted heads a lot because there'd be fights he'd call and I would call at the same time. And due to him being a macro IGL, I, I, I would think, okay, he's trying to position us for something else. And so we'd go with his call and it, you know, there there was a lot of clashing. Yeah. So I think for teams, once that starts to happen, it's important to sit down and it, it's okay to get onto one another, like realize your role on the team. Yeah, like your job, let's say you're micro, your job is to call fights when it comes to rotates. That is me, y yeah. you know? Yeah. And, well, and it's also important, like recognizing what your team wants to prioritize, whether it be these kills or placement, because that can also change your argument, too. I like, think that, right. you know, back, back on to like new players trying to get to the game. I know we talked about it a while ago, but. If you look at teams like back. TSM, right? <laughs> if you look at teams like TSM and you're thinking that they hate each other and that Hal is constantly yelling at Snipe down and it's just beef between them, that's just how competitive it is, right? If you're an IGL and you call something and somebody doesn't listen to you and it gets you killed, you're going to snap at your teammates. You're going to snap at your friends, right? And I think that's something that a lot of people don't realize that there's never any beef between people. It's it's all love at the end of the day. Just in that moment where you're like, why did you do this? I called this. Like, why didn't you listen to my IGL call? It's it's like, that's something that just happens out of like no, the heat it, of the moment almost. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing with esports is it's people are wanting to take it like a job. You can compare it to kind of like a, a real world job where... You know, if you get told to do something by your boss and you don't do it, what what's your boss going to do? 
you know yell at you you get mad at you yeah he's gonna get mad at you <laughs> because it needed to get done and you didn't do it so, you're gonna so, get that nice little slap on the wrist warning there yeah so <laughs> and eventually you're going to get fired if you continue not doing your job so that's where like roster changes yeah. too can happen um but yeah it's just big for people to recognize that it's not all hatred at the end of the day like Everybody has the same goal when they're competing. They want to win. It's just yeah. what's going to put you in the best spot to win that people got to right. try to recognize. And I think that, you know, if if you are coming to the scene, don't take what other people are saying about you or to you personal, right? Like, oh, 100%. You know how many people hate me in this scene? <laughs> likewise, like the same. Like it is... There are people that I've never talked to, never personally played with, or never even like, you know, met that are just like, I don't like you because this person doesn't like you even. And it's like, oh yeah, that's another one of those things where kind of keeping to yourself and, you know, just being cool with everybody comes into a big play about networking. Yeah. And this is something too, because I've competed since the game came out. I still get ego to this day. I made full on <laughs> champs finals and I'm being ego for my LFT situation. Think about that. There are you know, teams yeah. that didn't even make champs that ego me. I, I <laughs> saw this really funny post from Moo, and um, he he was in an LFG Discord, and you know, as you know, Moo used to compete. He was former pred, blah blah blah. But this guy was like, "How many times have you been predator?" He's like, "Oh, I was pred two seasons." He's like, "That's not enough." And they were like, "Back in the day, so you're not even good anymore. I'm not playing with you." And I was like. <laughs> Which huh? is crazy because Moo is like insanely talented. No, exactly. Yeah, there there are players that are like insane at the game that just yeah. get egoed for no reason. And no, exactly. You know, just, it's wild. Moo's Moo's situation is actually very interesting because he's having to fight against his past too. Yeah, because you know, I mean, as you know, I'm sure he was uh, not like the easiest dude to be around early on. And, like, he's gotten so much better, but he's having to fight now against, like, the things he did in the past. Cause exactly. He, you know, which has got to be tough, too. And, and it, it it almost feels like no one's giving him a chance either just because of, like, what happened years ago or a couple exactly. years ago at this point. Well, the thing, too, is, like, and Apex is one of the special games where it's like this, where if you leave and come back, you basically start at square one. You are mm. yes. you are back yeah. at networking, making friends, getting high ranks. You are back at square one, and, and so while it's super unfortunate for me, man, and I you know I feel bad for the guy because he is a really good player. You're you're back at that stage of okay, I got to prove myself again. Oh yeah, and he he knows that too, and I, it's just it's really weird. It's just yeah, and that's what I'm saying. In my opinion, it's just kind of a really interesting situation in general. It's just. Well, I'm just talking from like the standpoint of let's say a, a ranked player that has just hit masters for the first time, egoing someone who has you know been pred multiple times. When, in my opinion, com- or ranked was actually competitive, right? And <laughs> you know you might agree with this, you mattered. might not agree with yeah. this, but in my opinion, the season one pred badge, most important badge to have out of every single like badge in the game, right? Especially on PC, because every single game was full of pro teams playing like pro teams for the win. Dude, stop. Yeah. In season one, I was fucking diamond. Hey, man. Stop. Listen. <laughs> Trush. I mean, even though, like, like 
even though there's, you know, not that hard cap of 750 preds, right? It was, if you yeah. got past a thousand RP, you were pred. I still think that is more impressive than, you know, being 750th pred now in, in the current season. No, and I well, agree. The system itself was uh, just different. Well, yeah, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't assists. Everything, every yeah. you know, point you wanted to get, you had to get yeah, from there kills. Was, there was no assists. There was um, only KP. Um, but the big factor, too, was kind of the meta back then. It wasn't you know? an aggression meta. It was Path Watson. That that was the meta. So games, rank games ended up playing out like scrims. And you also had a different tier of players. Over time, as Apex has been, you know, growing in its esports scene, and this is no diss to anybody, but the the skill level of players has declined almost. They, think about it back in the day well, when I you think had. It has a, but I don't, I don't. I wouldn't blame the players. I would blame the way the devs have been balancing the game. No, a hundred percent. But it's also like Apex is one of those games where you're having people who've never competed before trying to come in, and I think that's the biggest yeah. factor. Whenever the game first came out, you had people switching from H1 PUBG. They already had BR knowledge. Mm-hmm. And now I mean, you're look, having people from like you know that just play COD for fun on their free time. Yeah, you have people coming and... from like Final Fantasy, going, "I'm going to go pro in an <laughs> yeah. FPS." Like, it's it's hard. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I mean, I think going off of that, the skill gap has just widened so much, right? Mm-hmm. I think that in season one, overall, the skilled players of like, you know, Pred to Diamond or whatever was much closer than it is now. Because I, I think as a as a pro player or a Pred player, you know, you can solo through diamond and one V three teams consistently. You know what I mean? And back then that was just absolutely not a possibility. No, definitely. I think that for how the scene has shaped out is the top end is much bigger than what it was back then. I mean, back then you had TSM winning every tournament. It felt like, yeah, yeah five times I felt like it literally happened. They won every tournament. Yeah. Um, but nowadays you have teams like NRG, CLG, Complexity. You have more top end teams. Yeah. But the lower tier teams, and I'll, I'll even diss myself, um, we're not at the top end level, you know? But we are I mean, considered like tier one players to an extent. Yeah. But well, this is kind of something we were talking about last time is like, how do you become a tier one player or a higher level player if the tier one teams? aren't scrimming but at the same time why would they scrim if they're so much better than all the rest of the teams that are scrimming you know no i agree at that point though it just comes down to keep your head down and grind like it it, this comes down to what i said earlier the game's mostly about mechanics if you can mechanically be insane you can figure out all that other stuff later you don't need scrims to gain knowledge on how to beat some of these teams you can literally just go back and watch tournament VODs and realize how they played every situation out. Because scrims right. and Apex, honestly, the only benefit you get from them is learning how to rotate. Yeah. Well, and if you... Go ahead. I, I guess talking about that, like learning how to rotate in scrims and stuff, being able to differentiate like a grief and a contest as well is something that you could learn from scrims. Because... 
if you're like if you're straight up griefing someone right if you are like landing on them taking out their loot rotating like that's something you don't want to do right and i think that's something it's a that, good way to get blacklisted yeah yeah that's a good way to <laughs> to find a lot of beef in, in the in the community i will say people like the drop spots but yeah which maybe you, know, you want if you're unknown you know <laughs> Hey, I mean, this is this is gonna be a terrible example, but look at Tech, right? Tech was, yeah, you know, I want to say a nobody until he contested TSM, and you know what looked like a complete grief on anybody outside and looking in because TSM was running the tournament, really, but he contested him, kind of, I, I don't know, grieved. That's a weird situation. At the end of the day, though, it happened. TSM was like, you know, good job, GG's, whatever. And now, you know, as a controversial name, Tech is still known throughout the community. Exactly. It's one of those uh, any publicity is good publicity type scenarios. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, but, yeah, but I agree. The, the thing in with terms contest, of, like, competitive interior. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, oh, it's like the thing with Contest is, like, being able to recognize what's griefing or like a contest is does it impact your game contesting them like are you going to lose the game contesting for a specific drop spot and this is why i would consider tech borderline griefing because you're contesting tsm of all teams this was when they were in their prime You, you know they were winning the tournament they were winning the those, tournament those last two games where they had to fight for you know what limited loot they already have because they played early rotate there and you know it messed up their rotations and messed up their loot and even if tech you know lost the fight and died tsm is still rotating late with less loot blah 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 and you know i would consider it a grief too but that's in my opinion it happened it's like yeah yeah, I think in that situation, the only time it wouldn't be considered a grief if the exact same scenario happened is if Tech's team had been like in second place. Yeah, weren't they in like 18th or something as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if yeah, if there's no chance you're going to win a tournament, late contesting a team, in my opinion, is a grief. Straight well, up, I would only contest in scrims. Like I wouldn't even bring contests to a tournament almost because if you bring it into a tournament, yeah, uh, that is hardcore griefing. I mean, yeah, but sometimes not, you can't really do anything about it, though, right? Because, like, if in champs, you have group stages and you have finals, and so the teams in group stages might not have your drop spot, but maybe a team in finals does, what do you do at that point, you know? Well, at that point, you still have those... Whenever there was group stages and finals, you still had scrims in between both of those. You could contest in scrims to kind of get, like, or see who's going to get that drop spot come finals time. I mean, yeah, if, if you're, you know, rolling a team in, in those scrims or if they're rolling you, you know, if you're losing, let's say, three out of five games or whatever, majority of your games, you should probably look <laughs> for a different drop contest. spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. I think that's just on like the. The confidence of the players, I guess, where it's like or the ego of the players where. It's like, no, this is my drop spot. I don't care how many times I'm going to lose it. I'm still going to fight you for it. This is my swamp. I mean, <laughs> hey, I will admit I've done. I used to do the same thing because, you know, 
uh, when we competed, we controlled like the entire back half of the map where like dome is like that entire area was mm -hmm. where we landed and if anybody landed anywhere near them we would completely ruin our game in scrims to make sure they didn't land there right and kind of what complexity does over by epicenter where epicenter, you know, yeah. you're landing there and if anybody's anywhere near you you're just going to push them right off the bat and kill them and you know they might not land there because that's just throwing at that point they don't want to get pushed and killed yeah. and lose all their games. Yeah. But I think there's a difference between doing that in scrims and doing that in an actual tournament. If you're doing that in a tournament, you're doing something wrong. No, I agree. And, and great point to bring up is how complexity played out. Um, come group stages of champs, they were being 50 for their survey and refinery. And, you know, I was in their lobbies, but they weren't streaming. I can't say this is exactly what they did, but I would assume that they push those teams. Yeah. Because they're yeah. being 50. I think they did. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I I can tell you they did because as <laughs> yeah. you know, the AM coach, we we landed refinery and got pushed almost every game. We had to leave within 45 seconds to a minute and be gone with everything full looted and whatever we had we had. Otherwise they were chasing us down. And there was one game that we rotated through tunnel to Skyhook. And they chased mm -hmm. us from um, survey camp all the way through Skyhook, all the way over by trials and countdown area where they finally killed us. They chased us that entire time, like without rotating, just to just to kill us. Yeah, just to keep and, you from dropping there. Again, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, that's okay doing that scrims. So it was just come turning time. It really ended up, uh, in my opinion, probably costing them chance. I mean, when it came to actual tournament time, at least from, from the AM perspective, we we decided to drop somewhere else when Complexity was in our lobby, right? Because we knew that they were going to play like that. And, you know, I wonder how many other teams decided to do that so they don't... I guess Complexity really um, relies on getting that almost early KP or just a, a KP-heavy team in general. So if... Yeah, I mean, you know, they're really, they're arguably the best edge team exactly. the game at the time yeah so if you take away their potential to get kills that's where they have struggles getting the finals and as we've seen you know they didn't qualify for one way or one reason or another none of them are streaming so we can't really go back and analyze yeah. why but you know if you take that potential away from them as you can see what happened yeah, absolutely. You can definitely see the effects of taking away an edge team's ability to get early kills and then... <laughs> and I know we're kind of edge. like on a little bit of a time um, squeeze here. So I'm going to kind of wrap up this topic for you guys and kind of give my last opinion on the difference between a contest and a grief, which is don't land somewhere, take half the loot and run away. <laughs> that grief's not yes. only your game, but the team's game. 100%. If you're, if you're going to contest, even if you have bad loot, you kind of just have to fight it out. That way, yeah. the teams kind of get the loot that they're missing, no matter what. And I will say, as like a, a, a final thought for me at least, where as if you're looking to compete as a you know new player coming into competitive, make sure you are able to fight and use any gun 
like P20, RE, whatever you have, make sure you're able to use it at least to, you know, you don't have to be a an amazing player with it, right? But at least be able to hit your shots and win a fight with it, no matter what it is. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I mean, a Mozambique, yeah, somebody I mean, knows how to at, use it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mozambique's the new six, wingman. Six that, shots, that thing no, hits. It's really good, yeah. Purple bullet on Mozam. Look, look at people like uh, like Hal. I think Hal does this when he warms up in firing range before he does anything else. It's like he uses no attachments on anything, even during one v ones and stuff like that, just to get used to not having anything. Well, there, that's important. There was a quote from Hal that you know every pro player you know knows uh, slash agrees with. Um, it's like a barrel stabilizer will not change the outcome of a game. Right, yeah, if exactly. you if you can't aim without a purple barrel stabilizer, you shouldn't be at the position, you know, where you're competing anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, exactly. it's one of those things that he, when you play early rotates, having no attachments on a gun is very common. Having having you know a base wingman, a base R nine, and white armor is very common for an early rotate team. Right. So let's uh, let's move this on to a final topic. Let's talk about where we think competitive Apex is going, what kind of a future it has, especially considering the fact that lands could be coming back. <clears throat> it's going down the drain. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Apex is honestly it's it's going to start thriving here soon, and you're seeing that with a lot of orgs coming back. Um, hopefully here soon in the season two of ALGS, you're going to see a return of Lance. I mean, there's been a few leaks of it already happening, but nothing official yet. But Lance would be massive for this game. And I think we're also going to start getting bigger price pools with EA recognizing that this could honestly blow up their esports division. See, yeah, I just hope it helps them balance the game and fix the cheater problem. Yeah, right? I was going to say, <laughs> as much as I agree with that, it really lands on the backs of, I guess, EA and Respawn, right? Because personally, what I'd like to see happen, I know a bunch of other pros would agree, is separate rule sets for competitive and, and public match. Playlists. Yes, absolutely. Right? We talked about that, and I agree wholeheartedly. I think if they were to do that and make balancing based off of you know professional outcomes and professional stats for the competitive scene... Whereas, you know, pubs, whatever, it's for fun. It doesn't matter. I would, If those separated, I think that the competitive scene would thrive and, you know, scrims would return much better than they are right now. I agree. Well, they could even do a competitive extent. build versus a public build on the game itself. Yeah. And I agree to an extent. I mean, we know customs are coming out to the public relatively in the next few months. Um, they are a kind of spoil that one but the <laughs> biggest issue and we kind of were discussing this with you know new teams how are they going to get adjusted is rank it's almost hard in a game like apex where you don't have scrims running every day for teams or not even for teams but for ea to justify a competitive bill separated from the game with different rule sets and different loot pools and all of that you know so it's it's, it's a super touchy subject i don't think it's like an easy like it's you not can an look easy at solution at all. I, I I'll agree with that, but I, I feel mean, if like if it was, I would have done it already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? 
And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned custom lobbies being available to everyone. I wonder what type of gate-kept scrims are going to happen in that scenario, right? Where... Oh, nobody's going to be able to play tier ones. That's new. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree that with that and support that. But I, I'm wondering how, you know, that tier two to tier one leap, how that's going to play out. Like, what... What gets you an invite to those custom lobbies? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's well, definitely unless it's be hosted by unless it's hosted by a third party. There's no shot. You have to like become friends with somebody in a tier one lobby. Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to get in. Connections. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, back to the yeah. same thing. Connections. That's what makes esports esports. But no, I yeah, mean, the only. Have... Sorry, go for it. I was like, you already kind of have players like Minus Tempo who are currently running a league at the moment that's similar to yeah. scrims um and i feel like most of the pro scenes okay with somebody like that hosting these scrims and it's like battalion back in the day you know with the q snipes the pros didn't run their own q snipes there was talks of them doing it but <laughs> i mean the thing with battalion back in the day and mm. you know apex.pro and 2-1 apex whatever is there was always a public ran like scrim and then there was a private ran scrim where you had to have, you know, you had to, you had to win a season of of the public ran open scrims to be invited to be invited. the private scrims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a clear path on how to get there, right? So I feel like as long as there's a clear path from tier two to tier one or even tier three to tier two, it's gonna be. I I think the apex scene will thrive. I think the competitive scene will will start to take off. Yeah, it's just the lack of pipeline organization, and EA is refusing to like take a pretty like active role in organizing the competitive scene, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, but I completely agree. I think that if we see these pipelines created, the competitive scene itself will just blow up. I mean, with GLL, for example, right? GLL, or so I've heard has to have an all-inclusive type build to run scrims right like they have to have every single person included and it has to be open for anybody to sign up and join and that's how as far as i know ea wants scrims to be ran the only issue with that is as you can see there's such a big difference between tier one players and you know casual players or you know the gold four requirement or whatever it's just it's not even <laughs> worth playing in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Giello just yeah. kind of mainly lacks, though, in, like, structure into separating these teams. Right now, it's just where what it was before, you know, they stopped running scrims. It was just first come, first serve, who signed up first. Yeah, you know? yeah, pretty much. So I, I definitely think with customs coming public, it would be massive having now that new way of hosting these scrims. Yeah, and it'll force, it'll be, you know, free market economy just for scrims. Whoever has the best scrims will get the Whoever most has the most clout will be able to host scrims. That's just how, that's how it's yeah. going to work. I see PvP hosting them. I'm going to call that right now. I see PvP hosting the tier one scrims where, you know, people might have an issue because of, you know, conflict with, you know, him being a coach for Cloud9 and everything, but... I, I see he's in the position, I think, to kind of have all those connections to where he's going to be the main person in front of it. 
I could see cool. that. I honest my from personal experience, I think minus tempo is going to be the one who ends up running the scrims. Yeah, I could see that too. Because I mean, he hosted all the the champ stuff, like all the scrims for that, and everybody loved it. Yeah. So I I could see as I could long see as PvP scrims come back. Doing it. I'm happy for it. I'm good with it. Yeah, as long as scrims come back and the scene gets healthier, the players get yeah, better. As, as long as the NA scene actually does something, yeah, I'm okay with it. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like so whole, I, think, uh, I think that's about it. all the time we have. I mean, if you guys have any last, you know, comments, concerns, whatever, I think we should uh, go no, and I talk about it. Got everything out there. Oh, yeah, that, I'm, I'm good. Follow my Twitter. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Twitter ads are below our uh, webcams or our, our borders here. So follow Stomp. He's on Twitter. Follow yep. Zoro TGB on Twitter. I'm low on impressions. Twitter. Come give hey, me followers. Um, and for anyone who's in competitive looking for a cracked Gibby, your boy Stomp's is still looking, I think. Free agent. Hit him up. Hey, we're, we're, we're testing stuff out. All right. We're, stuff's in the works. Listen, <laughs> if you, you want to compete, all right, DM Stomp's and be like, hey, I need a Gibby. All right. Oh, Tell him man. Koala sent you. He'll accept it. I promise. Oh, All right. Anyway. <laughs> well, I think that has uh, been the ending for number two of the final ring. Stomps, thanks for joining us and being the guest on today's show. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It's great, it great having time. you. And, yes, uh, and yeah, we'll that. see you all next time. See you all next time. Later. Later.